in redemption. Kids, and as they make their way there, I want to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Joel. We're going to be in Joel chapter 2 today. This is back toward the Old Testament, so you can kind of open up to the middle of the Bible and, you know, start flipping toward the back uh, or just look that up on your app. But as you turn there, I want you to think about a, there was a, when there was a time where there was something very important in front of you, but you knew that as you took the step toward that, that thing, that opportunity, that you were going to be met with significant resistance. And yet you knew that if you pushed through, there was an opportunity on the other side. Think about a great opportunity where there would be a great cost and yet a greater reward. We all have these moments in our lives. I can look at around the, the room today and even think about some that are just right in front of you right now. Maybe you've been searching for a new job. Maybe you're considering a new degree program. Uh, perhaps uh, you, you know, um, are... are, are thinking about a diet that would transform your health, or, or maybe there's that New Year's workout plan that is still going strong, we pray in Jesus' name. Still going strong? That's right. Um, just know that if you, if you go after the opportunity, that there's going to be resistance, and yet if you push through the resistance, there is a greater reward on the other side. And if you don't have one of those opportunities in front of you today, I want to give you one this morning, all right? So if you have one, you get an extra one this morning, okay? And, and the Bible calls this opportunity, are you ready? Fasting. Fasting. What, what is fasting? Fasting is giving up food. Do you hear the resistance? Yes. In our food network culture in our four-and-a-half-star search on Yelp for the best restaurant in our area, right? Like we hear the resistance. Give up food, but why? In order to get more of God. You see, we, we fast, we give up food in order to receive or get more of God. We, we think about fasting in order to feast. We disconnect from food, or you notice there's an asterisk beside the word food. Uh, it could be something else in our lives that we give up in order to disconnect, to connect more in our relationship with God. And so we see different types of fast in the Bible. I want to introduce them to you very briefly. Uh, first, there's the absolute fast. This is rare. This is even very rare in the Bible where there is a total giving up of food and water for a short period of time, be it a day or maybe a little bit longer. Uh, but if you're going to give up both, you definitely need to talk to a doctor about that before you do. So, uh, But the, the most typical fast in the Bible is what we could call a solid food fast. It's where we give up food for a period of time and we drink water, juice, whatever, uh, while we are fasting from food. 
And then the third type of food is a partial fast. This is where we abstain from certain types of food or something else that we naturally desire. We see Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1 giving up uh, delicacies and mead and, 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 and fine drink uh, just to eat vegetables and drink water because they didn't want to uh, d- 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 defame God and, and their relationship with him by eating the king's food in Babylon. Or we could fast forward to Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel ate only vegetables and drank water uh, and then also abstained from anointing himself with oil for 21 days. This was another partial fast. And so as we we think about this, I want to ask you, when is the last time you abstained from something you either needed or wanted in order to Devote yourself to God in a greater way. And, and I, I've been a pastor long enough in a, in, a, in a room this size where I know for some of you, and this is totally okay, you would be an absolute rookie in this. It's like you've, you've, never, you've never fasted a day. This sounds like the worst thing in the world to you to give up one meal for any reason. Even, well, but, but, but others of you may have been practicing this as a, as a rhythm of your life and, and you maybe consider yourself a veteran to this. Listen, whatever it is, whatever it is for you, if, if you're a rookie, if you're a veteran, I hope that we're, we'll see that God offers us fasting as a gift to help us draw near to him. And so I want to take us just a, a little bit deeper into this as we think about this biblically, that fasting is not simply giving up food in order to get more of God, but fasting responds, listen, to a sacred moment by giving up food in order to get more of God, all right? So look at how we see this in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. You can follow along as I read these verses for us. This is what Joel writes. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet, consecrate a fast, Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people. O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. 
Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Now, I I realize that most of you came to worship this morning not expecting or especially looking for a sermon on fasting. In fact, it's been a long time since we've had a sermon devoted to fasting in our church. But it's one of the reasons why we need to bring this back before us as well as, oh, by the way, we're about to enter into a week of fasting and prayer as a church. And so if this is new for you or if this is not so new for you, I want you to lean in and consider these three reasons why the the, the text is showing us that we should fast before our God. Number one, we see that we should fast when we are confronted with a sacred moment. We fast when we are confronted with a sacred moment. Did you know that Fasting is mentioned 70 times in the Bible. And perhaps what's most convincing as followers of Jesus, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's unpacking what it means to live life like himself and be a part of God's kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of God, he doesn't say, if you fast, but he says, when you fast. Fasting is an expectation. And yet, listen, most, most every time, maybe we could say every time, whether it is explicit or implied, fasting is a response to a sacred moment in our lives or the life of our community or nation. And what are we talking about when we talk about a sacred moment? We're talking about when something so significant happens, that it either just happened or we're we're, we're seeing that it's about to happen, that it demands our undivided attention, including not just our, our soul, but our body as well. This is what's going on in the book of Joel. Joel was a prophet of God. He was one of God's representatives. He communicated God's messages to God's people. And in chapter 1, we find that, that Joel is recounting a time that was not great in the life of Israel. You see, the people of Israel started doing their own thing. They turned their back on God and his ways. They lived for themselves and ignored the poor. They mixed their worship with idolatry. And they followed, listen, they followed, they followed God's commands when it was convenient. Does this, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like our lives at times? And so God says, because I love you, I'm going to grab your attention. I'm going to send my loving discipline in the form of judgment. And this judgment is coming through a plague of locusts. And what the locusts did was they devoured all of the vegetation in the land so that the the grain was gone and the grapes for wine was gone. And we see the, the sentiment and the significance captured in verse 12 when it says this, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. And listen, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Their joy was was gone because of the destruction of these locusts. But then when we get to chapter 2, 
God gives a warning of a greater invasion if they do not listen and turn back to God. Because this next invasion that's captured by the phrase, the day of the Lord, always a a phrase of, of judgment coming as we see it in the Bible, was an invasion of an army. Where chapter 2, verse 2 says it would be a day of darkness and gloom. Where verse 4, I believe, says that, that the land that was like Eden will become a desolate wilderness behind this army when they come through. And so God is trying to grab their attention. He's trying to, to let them see the severity of how they've turned away from God. This was a sacred moment. And that's why verse 12 says this, yet even now, yet even now, even though all of this has happened and you've lived like this, yet even now, this is a word of hope from God. Just like we we read in Ephesians chapter 2 where it talks about how we we followed our own ways and and we weren't living for God and we were uh, moving toward a Christless eternity. And yet, verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. This is another one of those moments in the Bible. Yet even now, in this moment, we can turn back to God, we can recognize the sacred moment and turn back. There are so many sacred moments in the Bible, and, and, and we can think about them in two categories. Oftentimes, there are sacred moments of difficulty, like, like what we see here, but then there are also sacred moments of opportunity, which is really also contained right here in the passage. And so if you, if you want to learn about fasting in the Bible, I want to give you a lot of examples of how we see this. Sacred moments of both difficulty and opportunity. First difficulty. Uh, we, we see that fasting is a response to difficulty most commonly when we recognize our need for spiritual growth and what the Bible calls repentance. That simply means turning from living for ourselves and our own ways, turning from our sin and turning back to God and living for God. And so we see this all over. The first time that fasting is mentioned in the Bible is when Moses fasts and prays before God for 40 days on behalf of the people and their idolatry and sin when they had created this golden calf and worshipped the golden calf. We, we see this in Daniel, when Daniel fasts on behalf of the nation in Daniel chapter 9. This is what we see here in Joel 2. We could back up to Leviticus chapter 23 in the Day of Atonement where the people fasted and confessed their sin before God. And by the way, when we, when we fast and we turn to God, we are practicing the discipline of self-control to say no to food, which that very discipline if you practice this, I believe you're going to see, will help you see that if you can say no to food, you, what else can you say no to? No to sin, right? No to the, the sin that creeps so easily 
in our lives. So we, we, we see fasting from, for, for, for repentance. We also see uh, fasting uh, in response to injustice. Isaiah 58, write down Isaiah 58. There's a call to true fasting, which is to provide for the poor and to work for the liberation of the oppressed. So there's a response to the difficulty of the moment, the sin, the injustice of the moment. Then we see fasting of, in times of war and devastation. Nehemiah fasted over the state of Jerusalem and the broken down walls of the city in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. Paul fasted for 14 days at sea, we see in Acts chapter 27, while he was on a ship that was sinking. We see fasting in response to sickness. There's an example in Psalm 35 where, can you believe this, David prayed for his enemies who were sick, as well as fasting and praying for his dying son in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We see the response of fasting to the sacred moment of death where uh, again and again and again in scripture uh, where, where someone significant to the, the, to the community dies and there's the response of fasting. David fasted when King Saul died and when his friend Jonathan died. There's a sense where eating feels inappropriate in light of the severity of the situation. But it's not just fasting in response to difficulty, but it's also, don't miss this, it's also fasting in the hopes of the opportunity that is ahead. So let me just give you a few categories here. We see fasting for preparation and power for ministry. Why did Jesus go out into the wilderness for 40 days and fast from food? Well, there were many reasons, but one of the prominent ones was it was a preparation because he was about to launch his public ministry. And so he's getting filled with the Holy Spirit to prepare to go out and serve God. We see Paul fasting for three days after his first encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And when Jesus healed the demon-oppressed boy in Mark chapter 9, he told his disciples, this kind only comes out by prayer, and some versions say, and fasting. And then we find Paul fasting and praying for the pastors about to take leadership in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. So there's a preparation and a power for ministry. If you think about serving people and wanting to make a difference in your home and in your community and in this church, there's a reason to fast for power from God, but also intimacy with God. When, when people came to Jesus and they asked, hey, why don't your disciples fast? All you guys are doing are eating and drinking and celebrating and, and having fun. What does Jesus say? He says, when the bridegroom is with everyone else, it's celebration, right? It's not the time for fasting when the bridegroom is here, but when the bridegroom leaves, speaking of himself, then they will fast. So in other words, we fast because we long to be with Jesus. We are anticipating his return. We just want to be close to God. We want to deepen our relationship with him. But it's not just preparing for ministry, power for ministry. It's not just intimacy with God, but also, maybe this will grab your attention, it's also breakthrough and answers to prayer. So we find Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 
fasting before God, praying, crying out to God over her barrenness, asking God to bring her a child. We, we find Anna fasting for the coming of the Messiah in Luke chapter 2. Then there's also fasting in, in the opportunity of guidance and direction. This is what we see in Acts chapter 13 at Antioch when, when the church there was fasting and praying and worshiping, and then God speaks into their worship and says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry and send them out on a mission, which launched, launched the greatest missionary work of the greatest missionary of the early church. And then finally, we see fasting for protection and provision. Ezra leading the people on the dangerous return from Babylon to Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 8. And Esther praying for God to deliver the Israelites from Mordecai's scheme for genocide in Esther chapter 4. Now listen, I know that was a lot and there were a lot of examples. And all of these examples are in my notes, which we will post online this week. But the the point I want you to see is this. Fasting is a response to a sacred moment, be it difficulty or opportunity to say, God, we are depending on you. And if there's going to be a change in us or around us, it is going to be because, God, you are showing up. Amen? And so we seek God in the sacred moment. Yes, fasting is all over the Bible, and all of these fasts that I just mentioned were in response to a sacred moment. This is the first reason we fast. But then number two, we see that the sacred moment calls for a sacred response. We, we not only fast because we're confronted with the sacred moment, but we fast because we are compelled then to offer our hearts to God. We're saying, God, I want to offer myself to you. I want to give myself to you. I want to give up food or whatever it is so that I can give myself to you and get more of you in my life. And this is the language of verse 12. It makes it so clear. It says, God says here, return to me. How? With all your heart. God God is seeking after hearts that are wholly committed to to him, that that have this undivided devotion to him. And how do we do it? We do it with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. It's as if the heart moves the body to a response, but not just the body, also the emotions. We begin to feel what God feels about our situation. Which, which is what happens when we fast, okay? Fasting is, is aligning our hearts with, with God's heart. It's as if, you know, you're, you're driving, uh, following a friend, you know, maybe, maybe from, from New Hampshire back to, to Boston, and you've been in the mountains, and so it's like, hey, you're not turning on waves. You're just following the person. So you have to keep, keep in line with, with them and, and follow and, and, and not lose track of where they are. And this is a picture of what God wants for us. He wants our hearts to be in line, in an alignment with his. He's already, he's already there when it comes to, to, to how we should feel about uh, our, our uh, sin and holiness, God is already there. 
when it comes to effectiveness in ministry and serving others, God's already there. When it comes to how we should feel about uh, death and injustice, he's already there. But then you should pause and consider the graphic picture portrayed in verse 13. Because verse 13 gives us a picture of what all our hearts means when God says this. Rend your heart and not your garments. You see, one of the ancient expressions for uh, sorrow and mourning and repentance was for people to literally tear their clothes and say, as if to say, God, this is how serious this is. I'm undone. I am, I'm so distraught over my sin or this situation that, that I am turning to you and crying out for help and mercy. And yet what was happening in Israel was that people were tearing their clothes, but they were not tearing their hearts. In other words, they, they were not opening their hearts before God. They, they weren't uh, laying their hearts open before God and saying, God, this isn't just a show here. Because by the way, let me, let me give a little warning here. You can skip a meal and not draw near to God. You can give up some stuff in your life this week, and sadly, if your heart is not in it, maybe not grow any closer to God. In fact, you might find yourself growing more and more distant. And so God says, rend your heart I want to ask you, when is the last time that you ripped your heart open before God? When's the last time? When's the last time there was something so important to you that you said, God, I'm going to give up food so that I can open my heart before you and you can receive this offering of my heart and work on my heart and bring my vision into alignment with your vision and my feelings into alignment with your feelings and my desires into alignment with your desires. You see, we love to pray in the church. We love to pray the prayer of Isaiah 64. What does it say? God, would you rend the heavens, tear open the heavens, God, and come down. In other words, God, we want you to show up. We want you to bring your blessing. We want you to answer all of these prayers that we're praying to you, God. We want you. But God is, God is saying what? He's saying, and I want you. I want you. I want you to, to rend your heart before me so that I can work and do what only I can do. This is a picture, listen, of urgent consecration. Uh, in other words, consecrate means to be set apart. When we, when we give up food, we set aside food so that we can set ourselves apart to God. Andrew Murray said this about fasting. Fasting helps us to express to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. So, so I, just, I just 
want to ask you, what, what do you want? What do you want to see? We're praying this prayer in Boston as in heaven, God, that your spirit and your presence power, your spirit's presence and power would flood living rooms, classrooms, and conference rooms. What is the change you want to see in your workplace? What is the change you want to see in your home? What is the change you want to see inside of you? And here's an opportunity to turn to God and to see more of his work in our lives. But I love how these verses show us that even what makes this possible is not our effort, but the character of God himself. Because what does it say? God says, return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's the character of God that makes it possible for us to draw near to God and to worship him. We do not deserve God's forgiveness, but he is gracious. We do not deserve to be free from condemnation and judgment, but God is merciful and slow to anger. We do not deserve to experience God's faithfulness when we've been so faithless, but God is full of steadfast love. And this word, chesed, it's why we named our daughter chesed, uh, it, it refers to God's covenant love. In other words, God has made promises to his people, and he says, I am not turning my back on those promises even when you turn your back on me. And so as we, as we embark on this week of prayer and fasting, to seek God in a fresh way, to cry out in light of some sacred moments of opportunity in our lives and in the life of our church. Listen, we do so because God is gracious and merciful. We do so with hope because God hears our prayers and he is abounding in steadfast love for his people. And so what what is this going to look like as we're compelled to offer our hearts to God together this week? Our pastors and staff have created a very simple, simple plan that I hope all of us, and I mean all of us, will jump into and participate in together. If you call Redemption Home, listen, you may be brand new, and it's like, I'm just checking this church out, and we're so glad you're here, and you're welcomed to join us. But I hope if you call Redemption Home that you would say, hey, I'm jumping in on this week of prayer and fasting as we pursue God together. So what are we, what are we planning? Well, first, and I know, I know you're going to be ready for this, all right? We are going to fast from screens, Every night from 5 to 9 p.m., all right? And, and, and I've been preparing my kids for this. It's like, hey, we, tomorrow night we're not going to be watching this game. Uh, tomorrow night we're not going to be, you know, hanging out on YouTube watching this video, all right? Because we're going to set it aside in order to set ourselves apart to God. We're going to give it up so that we can get more of God. And you say, well, Pastor Tanner, why would, why would we do this? Why would we focus on screens? And when we're talking about screens, we're talking about our phones, we're talking about our laptops, we're talking about our tablets, we're talking about TV, we're talking about Netflix. And you can fill in the blank with 
whatever ever other screen you love. I, I know this hurts a little bit, right? It hurts a little bit. There's a little bit of sacrifice going on. But, but I think this is so important. Why? Because I just, I just think about this. If, if, a, if a, a being from another planet were, were to drop onto planet Earth and to watch the way that human beings, listen, not just in America, all over the world live, they might conclude that our greatest devotion connected to our greatest attention are these little tiny screens that we carry around all the time, right? I mean, the, the, we, we, the average adult, not just in America, all over the world, spends roughly seven hours in front of a screen. And, and listen, we're not here to say screens are bad, the technology is bad. No, no, no. We're just saying that we have become so addicted to our technology that there is a danger for technology to shrivel our soul and influence our love for and devotion to God. And so if that's the case for you, like it is for me at times, then one of the ways that we can respond is to release that for, hey, we're just talking about four hours at night, but a significant window of time to discipline ourselves to say, I am releasing this in order to receive more of God. And listen, the adults in the room should lead the way, but I am hoping and expecting that our children are going to jump in on this as well. And so parents, by the way, that means we have to set the example for our kids and the children in our lives, but, but this is for all of us. And just think about, just think about the possibilities. I mean, I mean, can you imagine that if we turned off, and this is happening, by the way, in a real act of timely, sacred moment sacrifice, this is happening as the NBA season is winding down and March Madness is beginning this week. Thank you, Jesus, for how you line these things up. But we're going to turn off March Madness. We're going to turn off our favorite series. We're going to put our phones away for a little bit where we just can't even see them. And when we turn off the, the screen... We're going to bring out a game and play together and be together. We're going to close our apps so that we can open our Bibles. Listen, wouldn't it be so great, families, just to like, as you're hanging out and you're into hour two and you're like, what are we going to do now? Because we've spent two hours without TV and two hours with our phones and we don't even know how to live without these things. So what are we going to do? Did you just say, you know what? Hey, how about, how about 15 minutes? We just like catch a quick Bible story, do a little family devotion. Read a little, we can send you resources if you have, you need help with that. Or, or, or maybe this one, this is the year of bless. So as we're beginning with prayer and listening to others and eating with others, how about taking a couple of those four hours, even all four hours if you want, and rather than being on screens, have someone into your home. Connect with other human beings so that you can build relationship and love them like Christ has loved you. Now, I want to encourage you, don't do that every night because... The second part of the fast is not just from screens, but the second part of the fast is actually what fasting is in the Bible, which is fasting from food. 
So we're going to fast from screens from 5 to 9 each night. But then the encouragement is to fast from at least one dinner time meal throughout the week. So you just pick one. If, if one is a step for you, then we will wildly applaud that step of giving up one meal. Seriously. Did you know that God gets excited over small steps? He does. I mean, it's just, I can't say that without thinking about the first time our children began to walk. I mean, that, that first step, I mean, you're like, you're videoing it, you're sending that out, you're, you, you, you act like they just won, you know, the championship or whatever. It's just like the greatest moment. And God gets excited about small steps too. So if, if your first step is just one meal this week, listen, go for it. If this isn't so new and you're like, I can give up a few, I can give up a whole day, whatever, listen, be led by God. This isn't, this isn't a rule for us to follow, but it's to say, hey, we're in this together. We want to set aside time to release certain things in our lives, including food, so that we can receive more of God. And, and it would be ideal when you fast to fast during the nighttime so that you can join for prayer one of the evenings at the Redemption Community Center because we're going to be praying there every night from 7 to 8 p.m. And so we want to encourage you to come at least one of those nights. Come all seven nights if you're free and able, but to come at least one of these nights to pray. And we're going to be praying about some very specific things in the life of our church. But I want to say what I shared a few weeks ago. That just as we know there is no I in team, we also know there is a you in us. And Redemption Hill needs you. Your prayers matter. God wants you. Please, I know how this works. I've been a pastor long enough, and I've sat where you sat. So it's like we, we, we hear this, and we, we start calculating, Right? It's like, oh, yeah, so if most of the church, maybe like 53% of the church participates, that's awesome. So I am going to count on them being in the 53, and I'm going to be in the 47. Tell the truth. This is what goes through our minds, right? But we see God's heart here. I love this passage because what, is, what does God say? Look at verse 15. Blow the trumpet. Consecrate a fast. This is what we're setting aside a fast. We're calling a solemn assembly. There is a seriousness about this. And then it says what? Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Set all the people apart. Assemble the elders, referring to the older people in the community, as well as the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. What is it saying? Young and old, everyone's coming together. Even the people we would think have the greatest reason to excuse themselves. The nursing moms are coming with the baby. The baby shouldn't fast, but the nursing moms, they can probably survive a meal or two. If you're getting married, push the ceremony off until God says, because we need you there too. God wants everyone in on it. He wants you in on it. And we do too. So I hope that you will decide right now to participate. 
to say, God, I'm going to release some things so I can receive some things from you. I'm going to give certain things up so I can get more of you in my life and in the life of our church. You say, well, Pastor Tanner, that sounds great, but you said that we are compelled to offer our hearts to God when we are confronted with a sacred moment. So what is the sacred moment that we are confronted with as a church that would compel us to offer our hearts to God? And we see some opportunities before us. Each night we're going to pray about something specific. So each day we're going to pray about something specific in the life of our church. But each one of them relates to our personal pursuit of God in this new season of the next 10 years as we pursue the vision God has given us as a church. And so let me walk you through each one of them. Every day we're going to be praying our vision prayer in Boston as in heaven. God, we want to see your presence we want to see heaven touch our homes, our workplaces, our relationships. Just like your will is being done and your kingdom is, is, is revealing itself in heaven right now. So we're going to pray that every day. Tonight, Pastor Steve Agbula is driving all the way from Springfield to lead our time of prayer. And we're going to focus on confession and consecration I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have some sin to confess to God, but I know that all of us have sin in our lives that we can confess to God. And God's saying, return to me. I want you. I want you to purify your heart before me. I want you to consecrate yourself, to, to set yourself apart for me and my purposes in your life and in the life of your church. Then Monday night, Pastor Reddy, tomorrow night, Pastor Reddy is going to lead us to pray for mission and multiply march because our vision is to see three new churches planted in the next 10 years and to see God touch the world because he's touching the people right here in Boston. Did you know if God does something in Boston, the world will feel it? Amen? This is what we're praying for this week. Tuesday night, I will be leading a time where we're praying for our RHC staffing and leadership opportunities. We've been praying for, for several months now that God would provide a worship and creative arts director. We've been praying for several months that God would provide a student director for our church. And not to mention, there are other leadership, there are group leader opportunities, there are team leader opportunities, there are director level opportunities to lead ministries that, that are, are before us. And so we went to pray into these opportunities as a church, a sacred response to a sacred moment. On Wednesday, we're going to pray for relationships and marriages. And listen, if you're single, come, because we're going to be praying over you, all right? If you desire, if you desire marriage, we're praying over you. If you don't desire marriage, but you just want to come and pray that God will bless you in your singleness, come and we're going to pray for you in that way. Marriages, listen, I can't tell you as a pastor that the last two years, I've had more conversations with married couples in marriages that are struggling than ever before. I mean, the enemy is real. He is attacking our hearts and he is attacking our homes. And we're going to fight back. We're going to fight back in prayer. We're going to say, listen, you're struggling, I'm struggling too, but we're going to pray for one another that God would uphold us and strengthen and restore our marriages, our relationships. 
On Thursday, we're going to, Thomason's going to lead a time of prayer for the people in our lives. We've been praying for three, three people who are close to us but far from God. And we want them to know the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ. We're going to be praying for them. We're going to be praying on Friday that then we would step out and bring a blessing to Boston that you've been hearing us talk about the way we're living and moving this year. And then finally, when all of these people start following Jesus, we need to be ready with the discipleship culture that we're praying into on Saturday as Sony leads us to say, we're going to help these people learn to follow Jesus in all of life. This doesn't even begin to, to, to touch some of the personal issues in your life, some of the places where you need healing and breakthrough. We didn't mention that we're praying for a 24-7 building in the next three to five years or God bring it sooner. Like we're gonna be praying about these things and we're gonna be praying about them and fasting about them together. And so we're gonna walk together confronted by a sacred moment, compelled to offer our hearts to God. And then finally, we see this in the text. I'll, I'll make it quick. We, we fast because we desire, listen, we desire intimacy with God, blessing from God, and glory for God. Real quick. Intimacy with God, God says, return to me. I want you to keep in step with me. I want you to experience my love and not turn away from me because I'm a father, a good father. We, talk, we sing about who loves you and wants to be in the room with you. But, but not just intimacy with God, also blessing from God. Did you, did you catch what it says in verse 14? Who knows? As we fast and as we pray, as we return to God, who knows whether God will turn and leave a blessing behind? But, but listen, we don't, we don't fast primarily for the blessing. We primarily fast in response to the sacred moment hoping that if God chooses, he will also bring a blessing. So we don't presume upon his blessing, but we ask for his blessing that he would move and respond and work in only the ways that he can. And then finally, we do it all for the glory of God. Because I love it. If you notice what it says that God would leave behind a blessing, it said it would be a blessing of a grain offering and a drink offering, which an offering was an act of worship. So whatever blessing God brings, we turn it around and offer it back to him in worship. Because it's all about glory for God as we live before him. This is what verse 17 is getting at when the prayer begins from the, the priest, the leaders. Leaders got to lead, by the way, and we got to be the first in line. And so we're saying, God, spare your people. Make not your heritage, your people, a reproach, a byword among the nations. People are mocking the people of God. Why? They're saying, where is your God? He's nowhere to be found. He's not working anymore. Look, you, don't, you guys don't even live for him. He must not be here. And so fasting is, is a response to say, God, we, we want you to be known. We want you to be respected. We want you to be honored in our city as you are in heaven. And so this is why. We offer our hearts to God through prayer and fasting. I want us to take just a couple of moments as, as we wrap up our time in prayer. You can bow your head and close your eyes just to focus in.
And as we consider this opportunity before us, I hope that you will say, God, lead me this week. Would you just make that your prayer right now? God, lead me this week. You can even be honest. God, it's not going to be easy to set aside my phone for four hours in the evening. But God, would you lead me this week? You can pray this prayer. God, I've never given up a meal intentionally. Yeah, I skipped breakfast a couple times and whatever, but I've never given up food for you, and yet, God, lead me this week. I believe God wants to do a fresh work. I know God wants to do a fresh work in our lives. I know God wants to move through our hearts and through our prayers to accomplish his purposes in our church and in our city. And so, God, we're praying right now, Lord, that that you would help us see not just the difficulties of the past and in the ways that we've blown it before you, God, but the opportunities in front of us to take hold of all that you desire to give. God, that we would be compelled to offer our hearts to you, desiring intimacy and blessing and most of all, glory for your great name. God, just as they called the the elders and the children and the brides and the babies to come and to participate. Lord, we're, we're praying that we would have total participation. That not one person would, would uh, fail to say, this is for me. And God, when we blow it or when we forget and when we get on our screen and we're like, oops, we wouldn't feel guilty about that, but we would just say, God, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to releasing, to receive, to fast, to feast. And so, Father, we pray that over this next week, God, you would do some special things in our hearts. God, we, we, we have a lot to share with you. But, God, even more, we're convinced you have a lot to share with us. <laughs> and we can be sure of this because you've withheld nothing. In fact, you didn't even withhold your one and only son to die on the cross for our sin and be raised to life so that we can have life in you. And so, Father, we commit it all to you, and we pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's...